Legal Hour on Drive Live. A very warm welcome to Ludmilla Yamalova, managing partner at HBL Yamalova and Plevka. Here in the hot seat as usual, Ludmilla, waiting for, well, so many questions already coming through. So we're going to be keeping you busy this evening. How are you? Very good, thank you. Good, good to, to be have here. you here as always. 4001, as I say, if you want to ask Ludmila a question this evening. But let's start, though, uh, Ludmila, with a topic that's been in the news through the week. And we also had a listener get in touch with us on a similar uh, topic. It's all to do with paying rent to someone who turns out not to be the person you should be paying rent to. And earlier this week, the Aran News Centre had a... Um, a, a case of a gang in Abu Dhabi who had been subletting villas and collecting rent but never passing it on to the rightful landlords. Obviously that left lots of people out of pocket in various situations. So I guess first of all let's start with what are the rules on subletting and what can tenants do to protect themselves against handing money over to the wrong people? Sure. Well, a few things for just clarification. Uh, every Emirate has its own uh, rental laws and regulations. So um, Abu Dhabi and Dubai are different or are governed at least by different laws. Uh, now, the scam that was recently reported in Abu Dhabi is not uh, anything new. Uh, a few years ago in, uh, in Dubai, there was a whole series of similar scams. But since then, uh, the authorities have cleaned up, obviously, that particular practice. And also the public has become a lot more educated about what to do and not to do. So we haven't really heard similar stories reported anytime recently, but it's certainly something that used to happen in Dubai as well. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me uh, that it may happen in uh, an Emirate like Abu Dhabi just because there it's, it's a little less busy and there's a little less volume of rentals um, than we had in Dubai, so perhaps we experienced it earlier. Now, with regards to what um, the, um, uh, the rules and the laws on sublets, generally speaking, there is nothing against sublets unless parties, um, uh, unless par- parties agree not to sublet. Uh, so it is actually possible for parties to agree and for landlord to agree for the tenant to sublet. And so that's just a general uh, contractual uh I guess, provision that would govern sublets. Now, with regards to it, and it's not so much the rule on sublets that's um, that's at stake in cases like this or in scams like this. It's more about the lack of due diligence, and that's to use a legal term. But all it is is basically lack of research or lack of, of information and follow-through. So in many ways, it's a fairly simple scenario, and it's very easy to identify uh, what uh, who you should be paying money for uh, for and for what for what subject. That is, so in, in any particular realm, rental case, you have two elements, if you will. One is the party with whom you're contracting, uh, and that's also the party to whom you're ultimately paying money. And then two, the subject for which you're contracting, and that is the property. And uh, it's it's very it's fairly simple, or should be at least simple, to do the proper due diligence to understand who, uh, who is the authorized party and what and what is the uh, property that you're contracting for. And that is, with regards to the property, you take uh, you need to request a, c- a copy of the title deed. And these days, the ten- tenants in Dubai, for example, this is sort of a standard practice, everyone does it, is no longer uh, questioned uh, as it used to uh, until a few of these scams were happening here as well. So now this is a standard practice. Landlords know it, brokers know it, and and, and tenants know to ask, um, though not all do, but a majority now start to. So, but in any case, any time you contract for anything, this this is these are the two simple steps that that is that everyone should be doing, and that is identify who is the party that you're dealing with and what what's the subject of the matter that you're dealing with. So, when you're renting a property or buying a property, the first thing you need to get a copy of the title deed and you need to understand who is the owner of of that property. 
Now, once you figure that out, that should be the starting point because the title will tell you who the owner is. Uh, some, but sometimes also what's important is to, uh, to note the date on the title deed because it is possible very, very rarely will you actually get the original title deed. So often and most of the time, agents will give you copies of title deeds. And obviously, that pr- property could have been transferred since then. So uh, a very wise and once again, not expensive and not, nothing difficult uh, step to do is to request uh, a validated copy of the title deed. So, for example, in Dubai, it's very easy to go to land apartment and they will just stamp uh, the, um, the title deed showing that it is still active. So, and then once you've identified who the owner is, then you need to make sure that you're actually dealing with the owner. So in this case, how do you avoid a scam? And that is you ultimately, it's about money, right? It's, it's about money and, and the contract. And so you need to, that's the starting point is the owner of the property. Now, if you're dealing with anybody other than the owner of the property, then you need to go through a whole list of, uh, of documents to ensure that the person who is representing that property actually has legal authority to do so. That entails a power of attorney. That's number one. That's a starting point. And this power of attorney is, when we're talking about power of attorney, it is power of attorney that's that's registered through the courts, be it in Abu Dhabi or Dubai or anywhere else. It is not an authorization letter, which often, or I guess a tool that used to be used in Dubai and perhaps would have been used in this case, it has to be the power of attorney that is notarized uh, by the local authorities here. And once again, you also want to confirm that the power of attorney is fairly recent because it's five or six years old. I mean, you may want to question whether it's still valid. So if you actually have a power of attorney like this, then you need to review the content of the power of attorney. And that is in particular, whether that POA gives the agent the right to accept money on behalf of the owner. And this is very important because a lot of the POAs, I, I get... I guess traditionally or historically they were very broad and they would include all these terms and very few people actually would read them. But as we wisen up to uh, just to the world in general, uh, many uh, limit the scope of the POAs these days, which is the prudent practice. And so therefore, as someone who is relying on the POA, make sure that that particular term uh, in terms of payment uh, is included in the POA. And I will tell you, even then I would be cautious because whenever you're paying money, you want to pay money to the actual owner. So it's always safer to issue the check in the name of the owner himself and then let him and the agent or whoever else the representative figure out what to do now if you have that and sorry i know this is a long-winded but it will answer the um, perhaps listener's question and also this the scam story that came out uh so but if you have the poa and you relied on the poa then the problem is with the landlord so if then it's you, you are not responsible for having given money to somebody else if the landlord actually had given that official authority to uh, the representative I want to get uh, Claire involved in the conversation now. She got in touch with us yesterday um, and her uh, question was related to the topic we've been discussing. Uh, Hello, Claire. Hi. Thanks so much for getting in touch. You're uh, on with Ludmilla now. Could you explain your situation and what happened to you? Okay, sure. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I found a property and um, rented it, put down the security deposit put down, it was a, two, a property for two checks, so put down the, uh, transferred the money, uh, paid the money for the first check and the security deposit. The next day went with the broker to get the Ajari, and when we went, um, we found out that the property was blocked. After a bit of investigation, it's actually, it actually been under litigation since March, and it's actually now been sold, and it has a different owner. So I'm just ringing really to kind of get some advice as to what do I do now because obviously it's quite a lot of money that we handed over. We have a receipt from the broker for that but they're saying they're not liable because the money was given to the landlord 
and we have to try and pursue them. But I'm just really wondering, uh, what, what should I do? How can I, how can I proceed to try and recover some of this money that I've paid? So, Claire, just a few uh, follow-up questions. The money was, or the checks were issued in the name of who? The broker or the landlord? The landlord. The landlord. Okay, and the ca- and checks have been cashed. Uh, the first one, the second one hasn't. And the deposit has been cashed as well. Yeah. Yeah, then, then your case is against the landlord because obviously the landlord is the one who has cashed the check or accepted money. And so also you could even potentially uh, file a criminal case against the landlord because this sounds like this might have been a case of fraud. And that is the landlord surely would have known about the litigation and about the property being locked or blocked um, and having adv- uh, uh, advertised a property that is ultimately no longer his um, is mis- misrepresentation potentially could even rise to the level of being fraudulent so therefore you could go two routes um, obviously for you it's you need money uh, but a criminal case which normally will not give you money back but it does often serve as a fairly convenient leverage to at least put pr- pressure on the landlord so you could file a case with the police uh, on the basis of this that base the, the, the landlord fraudulently rented the property to you that didn't, did not belong to him uh, but you know, remember, this is a criminal case, so you will not get a refund of your money, but it could work as a convenient um, leverage on the landlord. And in parallel, you could file a case with the rent committee, and that is for a refund of your, of your money. And in this case, as long as the landlord is the one, the checks were issued in the landlord's name, and the landlord cashed them, so you have clear evidence that that he obviously benefited from that transaction. So, I mean, it's a fairly, in legal terms, it's a fairly, a fairly clear case, and you will win it with appropriate advice, obviously. Uh, but it, it will cost money because everything uh, costs money, but the rent committee is quite efficient, and they are uh, fairly effective. And in this case, whatever court fees that you would pay to the rent committee will be reimbursable to you once um, the verdict is rendered in your favor. So unfortunately, unless the landlord will mo- give you money voluntarily, the only recourse here for you is to go through the, through the court process. Has that helped, Claire? Has that answered the question for you? Yeah, it does help. I mean, just one further question I had. Isn't, aren't the, the brokers, the real estate brokers in Dubai, aren't they supposed to verify ownership before they lease the property? It's a great question. It's a million-dollar question. In, in theory, yes, you're correct. But, however, in your case, what you're looking for is a refund of money, right? And so you would need to, whenever you bring a case, you need to bring a case um, on the basis of some documentation, the transaction which you entered into. And it sounds like, in your case, the transaction was between you and the landlord. So it, it depends on what documents you might have signed with a broker. If there is a representation agreement with a broker that clearly sets that contractual relationship between you and the, and the broker, you could also bring the broker into this equation. And certainly okay. from an ethical standpoint and, a, and from a professional standpoint, you should, you should certainly demand it or you should demand uh, from bro- brokers to step up and, and do something or try to mediate the dispute. But in practice and uh, realistically speaking, it's, that's not the path you want to pursue. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Good luck with this, Claire. Sorry that you've been caught out, but good luck. We hope it turns out uh, uh, well for you in the end. Thank you for that, Ludmilla. I think you helped a lot there. Uh, Sally, before we just head to the news, just quickly some of the topics that are coming in on the text line that we'll get to after the news. Uh, Many that are asking about various rent issues. Uh, There are some about uh, being registered in various uh, uh, zones uh, for companies. So there are lots of different questions coming in and we'll get to those right after the news.
No matter your preferred communication, stay in touch with Drive Live only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Legal Hour on Drive Live. We are right in the thick of legal hour this evening. Ludmilla Yamalova is in the studio. There are absolutely tons of questions coming in on 4001. Sally, what have we got? Let's start with this one from Graham. He said, uh, uh, related to the sale of a vehicle. So he bought a car a few months ago and recently sold the car again. Uh, and he was clear to the buyer that there were some defects and nonetheless the vehicle was sold and it passed all the tests. The buyer has since contacted him saying that the vehicle was uh, in an accident and he wants a refund. And Graham says uh, that this person wants to take legal action and he says, I never knew it was in an accident in the first place. Okay, so in the in the way what the buyer wants to do is he wants to terminate the contract. In the UAE, in very simple and relevant terms, uh, to terminate a contract can be done in two ways. One is mutual, by mutual agreement and two by court action. So in this case, unless you, Graham, agree to refund the money and, and, um, and transfer the, the title of the vehicle back to you, which doesn't sound like you want to or reasonably you don't really have reasons to do so, or I guess objectively, uh, so therefore, that will not be an option. So there, uh, as such, for the buyer, there his his next recourse is filing a court case because only a court can decide uh, whether the contract should be terminated and w- and then what terms it should be terminated. So in this particular case, it would really be up to the buyer to actually file a case. And uh, I know he said he's threatened to do so. Uh, my advice to you is just wait for him to do so because again, unless you're willing to reverse reverse the transaction altogether. And if you, in good faith, believe that you did nothing wrong, then uh, my advice is just let him file the case with the court and let the court decide who's right, who's wrong. In the event the court decides that the contract should be uh, should be terminated, then the court will order just a reinstatement of the parties in their pre- in their original positions, which is you you, re- you refund the money and you get the car back. Um, and there potentially could be some interest from the time of filing a claim. However, in your case. Uh, I would, um, at least based on the facts that you've given to us, it doesn't sound like he has much of a case because if you, in good faith, represented all the uh, all the facts and um, there was no fraud uh, on your part or concealment of any kind of relevant facts and the car passed all the tests, I do not see how, on what basis, the buyer would um, would request the termination of contract. So my advice, just don't worry about it for now until you absolutely need to worry, and that is when he files a case and I doubt that he does unless the car is worth a lot a lot of money obviously then in that case it may be uh, worthwhile for him but even then uh, legally you seem to have a very strong position Another one here, Ludmilla from Ali. He says, I'm an off-plan investor. I invested in 2007. I've not gotten my apartment or my money back. Now the developer has restarted the project, asking me to pay. I don't want the apartment um, at, the, at the price that I bought it then. And I also want damages for the time that they held my money. Can I get it? Okay, this is another example of what's called a breach of contract, and that is a termination of contract. So uh, you can you can request uh, termination of contract if, if the party that, uh, I guess, the other contracting party has done something wrong. So in your case, it sounds like uh, the developer has failed to deliver the property timely. So that would qualify as a breach of contract and therefore as a, as a, uh, as a reason for a contract to be terminated. 
But once again, in the UAE, under the, the Dubai in particular court practice, a contract can be terminated by one of two ways, either mutually or mutually agreed or through the court. Uh, so in, if the developer agrees to refund uh, all your investment, then that's a termination contract. Uh, that's uh, highly unlikely based on what you've described and in my experience here. So therefore, your only recourse, your practical recourse, is just to go to court. When you go to court, you request termination of a contract on the basis that the developer had breached first by virtue of failing to deliver the property timely. Obviously, in this case, you will have to rely on the agreements, but um, whatever whatever you have in writing, since we are in 2017 now, it's been 10 years, It's you know, what, however the contract might have been drafted, it's not reasonable for the developer to use any kind of, uh, an, uh, I guess, an argument argument that the delay was justified. So chances are, on substantively speaking, you have a very um, v- a very strong argument to argue uh, breach uh, by the developer first and therefore termination of contract. Uh, if the court does issue termination of contract, then what you can ask, or I guess this is the only remedy available, is the refund of your investment plus uh, anywhere from 9 to 12% interest on that amount from the time that you filed the case. Uh, so in other words, if you want to claim a refund plus damages uh, that you might have suffered as a result of this delay. Whenever the court orders a termination of contract, uh, basically the remedy here is that the parties are being reinstated in the original position. So therefore, you would not be entitled to any additional compensation, but you will be entitled to a refund plus uh, legally allowed interest of 9 to 12%. Let's move on to this question. This one's from Kartik. He's texted in on the Dubai Eye app. He asks, what happens if uh, I have signed the tenancy contract but haven't received my ijari yet? The rent money has been deducted, but the real estate agent and owner's uh, POA representative are being tardy with the ijari. Uh, simple. You can just go to Jerry yourself and register the contract yourself, and it is in your interest to have it registered. Uh, yes, there is a fee associated with it, but having an Jerry contract is in your benefit. So, therefore, I, I would I would suggest that the fee is reasonable and justified. But you can take matter in your own hand and do it yourself. Because I believe you can't actually get your uh, DWA uh, connected until Indeed. you've got an Jerry. Now that's correct. quite new, isn't it? Right. But uh, so you're going to need to get that Jerry sorted, Kartik. Hope that has helped. Um, another one here from Mark. Hi, my tenant left the country on the day of the expiry of his contract. He mentioned that he wanted to renew, but he wanted to make some changes to the contract without informing me 90 days in advance. What can I do now? I don't know when he will be back. Uh, Well... In this case, it sounds like there is nothing that really can be done because the contract can be amended uh, in 90 days by mutual agreement, 90 days before the expiration, unless obviously parties agree otherwise. Um, So therefore, whenever the tenant is back, you're ultimately back to where you were, and that is the original terms and conditions of, I guess, of the previous year, Uh, unless unless the the tenant wants to... uh, to amend certain terms that are that are acceptable to you, obviously you as a landlord always have the right to uh, contract on whatever terms you uh, deem appropriate. But otherwise, you're back to the terms and conditions of your agreement from last year. Okay, this one is uh, from Oscar. It's one that you must see quite a bit of. He's asking, what is the tenant's recourse of action in case the landlord withholds part of the deposit? 
based on a disputed claim. What can you do in that situation? Well, this happens, unfortunately, all too often. Mm. And that is landlords refuse to uh, give back the deposit. Uh, so in this case, you the only, again, I, and I'm sorry, I, I keep so- sounding like this, but truly, unless you remember, you always have two courses of action, either mutually agreeing on something or uh, going the formal route. So unless the landlord ultimately agrees to give you uh, the remainder of the deposit, your only recourse uh, is going to be filing a, uh, a claim with the rent committee. And then that uh, in that case, it will be the turn of the landlord. He will have to counter claim uh, for and allege the disputed uh, claim that he is relying on in, in withholding the deposit. But he cannot just by default, legally speaking, he cannot just withhold uh, the deposit because who is he to to decide that there is a dispute and therefore that he is the right party in the dispute. So it only really is for the authorities so that is for the rent uh, committee to decide this. Um, so therefore, my recommendation, if, if it's a significant amount, you just file a claim uh, with the rent committee. And then in that case, he will he he must counterclaim because if he doesn't counterclaim, he cannot later say, well, no, I can only I will only return part of your d- deposit because of some other claim. So for him to claim that he will actually need to counterclaim. So, and unfortunately, the reason why we see a lot of these disputes because... um is because deposits, relatively speaking, are fairly, um, a fairly small in amount, and uh, you know, I guess some landlords think that it's just it's not going to be worthwhile for tenants to pursue them, and this is why these practices continue. Yeah, they bank on the, the fact that you'll probably just oh well, I expected to lose my deposit anyway, and actually it's worth pursuing it if you really don't feel you deserve to. Indeed, and we've had plenty of cases that actually where tenants do take it more as a matter of principle, not on commercial uh, grounds, but as a matter of principle and. And it's, you know, legally speaking, it's a clear case, but commercially and, and time-wise, it certainly is, is it's an effort. Um, there is talk, however, uh, uh, at least in Dubai, that the Dubai Land Department and working with RIRA, they are talking about uh, amending the rental laws that we have today. And one of the references we've seen, at least in the press, and I'm not sure we'll have to, we'll have to continue to update listeners on this, is that they, they are thinking of figuring out some other method for deposit. So perhaps deposits could be held for the authority Mm. Uh, and obviously that's, that would um, resolve these kind of issues. You're listening to Ludmila Yamamalova uh, on the uh, Legal Hour, 4001, if you've got questions. This is a really interesting one, Ludmila, on a different topic um, and one that I think affects a lot of people. Ignatius says, hi, I took an insurance policy for my wife in December 2016. She became pregnant in January. We visited a clinic to confirm in March. However, the insurance company says it won't cover any claims because there's a six-month waiting period for new policies. Could you advise on this six-month rule? Uh, this is a, a loaded topic, but in general, so um, you're, it's, it much depends on the, the terms and conditions of the particular policy plan which you had. Um, so that's your start, starting point because uh, at least you know reasonably that's that's the document the insurance policy or the insurance company would be citing uh, as grounds not to cover your wife. Uh, now, as I say that, uh, there is there have been a number of amendments from the Dubai Health Authority. Uh, and just in regulators in general, in terms of uh, insurance uh, policies and insurance companies. And one of the things that uh, DHA, th- that is Dubai Health Authority, is requiring right now is that all insurance policies actually uh, cover mater- or pregnancy and maternity um, costs. Um, so that's no longer optional. Uh, one also, but again, th- you know, this is, uh, that's why I said it's loaded because it much depends still on your policy. But this is a, the, you, these amendments would be relevant to you too, even if your policy says something to the 
contrary. And that so one is all the maternity or pregnancy related expenses must be covered. And two, the pre-existing conditions, for example, cannot be excluded like they used to be. So until about two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, a lot of insurance companies would exclude any kind of pre-existing conditions. And so the authorities have stepped in and said that's no longer allowed. So, Ignatius, in your case, I would, your best bet is to actually file a claim with DHA, and that is Dubai Health Authority. We have filed a number of cases with them, and they're extremely effective. Um, So when they get involved, we see claims getting paid quite quickly. Uh, again, it could be a case of, you know, no, we don't cover it, assuming most, but that will sort of whittle it down. Most people go away and say, all right, fair enough. But if you actually bring the claim, you might find, particularly if you use the new regulations from the DHA. Right. And I will tell you, with DHA, this is not a formal court process. It's much simpler and it doesn't cost anything. You just need to, if you just go to the Dubai Health Authority and you'll see there is a complaint tab on there and you just need to submit all your documents by email. Uh, and, and it's always good to also bring them in hard copy. And um, there isn't really a fee involved and you don't need to justify in terms of citing laws or legal precedents. Uh, you just basically say, well, this is, the insurance policy does not cover this and that. And most of the time, at least from our experience, uh, these claims get resolved very quickly. Sally, one message for us. We were consi- uh, uh, confusing apparently acceleration and speed when we discussed the lift. Did uh, we? Well, apparently acceleration would make us stick to the ground, but speed uh, works, for example, an aeroplane, I think. I, I'm not quite sure what the text is saying, but that we were talking about the speed of it and it would be acceleration. We'll, we'll have to come back to the story <laughs> next hour and think about that. Uh, I think everyone knew what we meant. It's the world's fastest lift. I think they knew what we meant, right? Yeah, th- <laughs> I, I, you'd hope so. Uh, but it is, of course, the legal hour and plenty more of your questions uh, to get through right now. Uh, we are just about to take a break with Lude Miller, but keep them coming in. You've only got about t- 10 minutes for her to answer any more questions that you have. So uh, get them in, 4001 or on the Dubai Eye app. We want to hear from you. Find us on Facebook. Tweet at Dubai Eye 1038FM. It's the legal hour. Not long left to get your questions in. 4001 Ludmilla is here, of course. And Sally, you wanted to talk about these uh, workshops that Dubai Land Mm. Department have organised. Yeah, this is uh, interesting. Dubai Land Department, they're organising workshops for law firms in Dubai to review and to discuss uh, articles of law uh, around the rental laws. Now, Ludmilla, of course, you've been here a long time. Your expertise is very hard to come by. Very few people have the level of experience that you know here Uh, these uh, workshops what can we expect out of them clearly it's looking like the government is reaching out to law firms and you know asking for input and asking uh, how can we better things here in the emirate Indeed. uh, And in fact, this is nothing new. The government and the authorities have been very active and very inclusive of the business community, at least as long as I've been here. So these workshops are are actually being held quite often in different industries with different authorities. For example, the the DIFC Wilson Probate Registry that was formed about a year and a half ago, it was ultimately came out as a result of of these workshops that various authorities held together. Um, So in fact, the authorities here are are very much um, in touch with the business community community and they wanting to get that input from the business community and that's why often even when laws are being uh, discussed or amendments to laws are being discussed drafts of these laws are being passed on to various uh, relevant uh, practitioners of, of certain industry to get their input so and I mean to me it's actually 
it's one of the most amazing things about how the, the legal practice here, which I think many people here do not realize, and certainly I think outside of the UAE nobody realizes, but in many ways it's it's one of the best forms of, of, of hearing, of having input from the people or sort of ruled by the people because, and I will tell you, we have seen amendments and laws that are being, uh, that are being issued on the back of these um, uh, of these this, this feedback and comments from the public and in fact one of the reasons and that's what I mentioned earlier that the uh, Dubai rental law is at least there's a talk about having that law amended is because uh, at least one school of thought is that the law was as it exists today was introduced for a different business environment and perhaps right now it's a little dated so it's time to kind of freshen it up and um, and update it and so it's with that in mind that the land department are holding these workshops to try to get input from the public to see how they can better the law. I mean, what a great system. Yeah, well, really interesting to hear as well that it's not lip service at all and these things are, are turning into policy. Uh, I want to squeeze another phone call in if I can, Ludmilla. We've got uh, Sammy on the line. Sammy, uh, you're through to Ludmilla. What uh, would you like to ask? Hi, um, it's a bit of a, co- not a very complicated situation, but I'd just like to sum it up. Uh, very You've only quickly. got a couple of minutes, Sammy, so decomplicate it. <laughs> Um, uh, well, we signed an agreement with uh, one of our one of the developer who owns a, a, a chiller system in our building. So it's a centralized chiller system for the whole building. Um, as per our signing of the agreement, we agreed that we will pay a certain monthly fee for the chiller. However, there's a clause in the contract stating that as uh, if the meter uh, meters are installed and when they're installed, uh, there'll be a, a per consumption fee. Um, once the meters were installed, they got a third party, uh, and which implemented rates that are unreasonable and not according to market price. And they implemented also a deposit, and they've implemented a uh, a uh, installation charge, and uh, major maintenance charges, and so on and so forth. There's a clause in the contract that states that if we are going to ever pay a third party other than the developer, that we will have to agree as tenants. However, none, none of us were consulted with this, and we, we approached the developer for more information in regards to why these consumption charges are there. He didn't really, he wasn't really helpful, and uh, he just thought what's agreed, and he's trying to enforce the agreement and make us sign, it, sign the agreement with a third party. Can you tell me my rights? Yeah, as, as you said, it's, it's a very complicated issue for a number of reasons because there's so many different parties involved. But, uh, but at a sort of at a simpler level, uh, which is you said you have an agreement that clearly states, and that should there be a third party involved, then um, there'll be some sort of input from you tenants uh, where you will have to agree and, and sign that agreement. So that's your leverage ultimately. Uh, legally speaking, mm-hmm. therefore, if you ever wanted to argue, if you wanted to take, make an issue of it and argue this particular point, that's what you would argue in court. Now the complication in your case is that it sounds like you are one of the tenants and in the UAE in Dubai you are in Dubai in particular but in the UAE in general there is no um, there's no right for collective action for example or for class action so all of you tenants would have to go separately if you wanted to to argue this particular point that there is a breach of contract uh, so mm-hmm. and then from a practical standpoint I mean I guess that, uh, that is also a practical uh, view but another um, another issue here is that usually chiller services are being provided by for these government some my government authorities and these consumption charges and uh, and and whatever other charges uh, they are standard across Dubai so ultimately mm. it just it may just be you know, it's, it's up to you you will always have to contract contract you can rely on and try to dispute it in court but just looking ahead these charges are not unusual yes they may seem quite high uh, but as a tenant if you didn't agree to actually paying those charges then you can always say well that's fine. That's the responsibility of the developer to pay for those. You know, my charges included as part of the rent. 
so um, you know it's, it's it's complicated. So if your contract is clear, then you don't you don't just don't pay. Can I ask charges. one more question? Can they disconnect my AC if I don't sign this agreement? Can uh, they threaten to do uh, that? Great question. So the land department has, in the last many years, has come out on record a few times said no, it is not allowed for the landlords to disconnect uh, so material services and AC being one. So in fact, it is illegal for them to do so. If and that is a developer, if th- their recourse again is through the courts. So should they have a, a dispute with the tenants, they just need to bring that dispute in, in courts and not by cutting off services. So in case that does happen, you need to go to the land department and complain. Fantastic. I hope that Thank helps, you Sammy. so much. Thanks for I calling did, in. Thank Thanks you. for calling this evening. Good to hear from Sammy. And from all of you this evening, as usual, we have run out of time spectacularly. Lots of questions we didn't get to. Apologies for that. We will um, keep hold of them. And Ludmila will be back, I hope, next week. Yes. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will try to tackle them then. Ludmila Yamalava, of course, she's managing partner at HPL Yamalava and Plevka here every Monday with us on Legal Hour. Thank you so much um, for your questions. Uh, more soon.